Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. Today is Tuesday, March 14th, 2023. This is edition number 47 of season eight. We continue looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith. My name is Pastor William Hill. I am the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church located in Evansville, Indiana. If you want to find out more information about the church, you can visit our website. That information is available, will be available to you at the conclusion of this devotional. Additionally, I do write on my own website, theparchment.net, um, daily prayers, and I post this morning devotional there and other various projects I'm working on. Um, I've just completed a recording of the Westminster Confession of Faith that has not yet been released, but it will be shortly. Um, there's a recording of the Children's Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, as well as a monthly reading plan, both in audio and written format, through the Westminster Standards. Various projects I'm working on, those are on my website as well. That link will be available to you at the conclusion of this devotional as well. Today we come to paragraph number three of chapter eight as we continue considering Christ the mediator. Let's pray first and then we'll consider this paragraph. Father, as we approach your word once again as we look into that which is the bread of life and as we consume that which you have for us uh, this day we pray father that you would give us the grace we need to understand uh, your word we pray for your strength and help that you would guide us by your spirit you would forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness we pray for christ's sake amen well, yesterday, in yesterday's edition, we considered the hypostatic union. I just briefly bumped into it and tried to explain from the larger catechism the significance of these matters. Today, we come to paragraph number three, and again, I'll be using a little bit of what Chad Van Dixhorn has to say to us on this subject, but um, let me just read the paragraph, and then we'll make a few references uh, to... Um, uh, to these, uh, some of the things that are said here in paragraph 3. Paragraph 3 of chapter 8, the Lord Jesus and his human nature, thus united to the divine, was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure, having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and surety, which office he took not unto himself, but was thereunto called by his Father, who put all power and judgment into his hand and gave him commandment to execute the same. Now, uh, Dr. Van Dixhorn mentions here, as he introduces this paragraph, he says, the previous paragraph explained that the divine Son of God took to himself a human nature. He was fully man and fully God. Okay, so that's the hypostatic union that we've already considered. As this paragraph explains, he was also full of the Holy Spirit. I think it is true for many of us that when we read the Gospels or meditate on our salvation, we often marvel at the sheer extent of wise perception and profound understanding found in Christ. He is a man like no other man. He is the one who was sanctified or set apart from all others. Now, it is easy for us to, to be tempted in the direction that says, well, of course he was God, and that's why he knew what was on the heart of man. Um, it, when we look at the very end of John chapter 2, we see reference to the fact that the Lord Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And we would be tempted to think, well, it's because he was God. And while that is certainly true, we must also never forget that the Holy Spirit was given to him beyond measure, even as... Um, 
our confession says that he was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. Now, you and I have the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we have been granted the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. If we were given the Spirit above measure, that is to say, in, in, um, in, in an infinite way, we would never sin. Uh, but we do, and we do, in fact, have the capacity to grieve the Holy Spirit with our lives. The Lord Jesus did not have this problem. He was uh, not one who was consumed by sin. He did not have a sin nature. And he was given the Holy Spirit above measure. So how is it that he knew the heart of men? Well, because he had the Holy Spirit. How was it he was able to walk on water? Because he had the Holy Spirit. How was he able to heal the sick, the blind, raise the dead? Because he had the Holy Spirit. And we must always remember that as Jesus exercised his earthly ministry, he did so under the power of the third member of the divine Godhead, that is the Holy Spirit. So Psalm 45 and verse 7, and there's many different references I think we could look to um, to lay this, uh, set this out for you, but Psalm 45, verse 7, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. In John chapter 3 and verse 34, you know the chapter. Most of us know it as the encounter with Nicodemus. This is far beyond that narrative, but in John 3, 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now, who is the one that God sent? That's Christ himself. And so he does operate in this capacity as one who has the Spirit beyond measure. Now, we will have the Spirit beyond measure in eternity when we are fully glorified and perfected in knowledge, righteousness, and indeed holiness. So when we seek to understand our Lord, Van Dixhorn goes on to say, it can be tempting to think that the answer to his uniqueness lies in one direction only, that the man Jesus was divine. But as we are reminded here, the reason for the uniqueness of our Savior also lies with the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ was completely sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit. He alone could give the Spirit without measure because he, as John the Baptist once explained, had a measure of the Spirit that was without limit and beyond measuring. And that's what I just read from John chapter 3 and verse 34. He goes on to say this anointing of the Spirit is spoken about directly in the Bible. It can also be detected when we look at the results of the Spirit's work. And this is what the confession goes on to say. What are some of the results of the Spirit's work? Well, he had in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Some uh, Bible scholars, commentators uh, will look at uh, Proverbs chapter 8. I think it's Proverbs 8. I'm pretty sure it's Proverbs 8. Forgive me if it's not. It's one of them. I think it's 8. Uh, as personified wisdom, as really describing the wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's true, we have here in this confessional statement that the Spirit gave to him above measure, holding in him then all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, what does that mean for us then, therefore? If we are to seek wisdom and knowledge and understanding, uh, we don't find it in the world. We find it in he who is all wisdom and knowledge. Even as James chapter 1 says, if many man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God for it, who gives generously without reproach. But he must ask 
with no doubting. He must ask in faith. That is to say, he must not ask and combine it with other philosophical ideologies that come from our world, our fallen world. But this is one of the results of the Spirit, that he has all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, who in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, and undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and a surety. Now, this goes on to speak of other matters. So we've already considered the issue of a mediator. We know what that is, the one who stood between God and men. But what is this surety that is mentioned here in, the, in, in this third paragraph? Well, to define it, again, quoting from Dr. Van Dixorn, a surety is a person who undertakes some specific responsibility on behalf of someone else. The surety is the guarantor, the person who makes himself liable for the default or miscarriage of another, no matter what the cost. And Jesus is indeed the surety or guarantor of this new covenant. He himself took to himself what was rightfully ours. And he then carried away the very wrath of God as our mediator and surety that we might not then experience the very thing that was due to us. And so he took this to himself um, as these offices are explained to execute by the help of the Holy Spirit the office of a mediator and a surety. Now, we need to also remember that he did not take this to himself. In other words, he didn't just claim it for himself, but that was appointed to him even as our confession says that he was called there, thereunto called by his Father to these things. And Hebrews chapter 5 and verses 4 and 5 highlight this for us. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is comparing the priesthood, the earthly priesthood of the earthly high priesthood of Aaron and his sons with that of the priesthood of Christ. And it goes on, verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but it was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so he was appointed these things, and then he took voluntarily these responsibilities that he might rescue his people from their sin. And as a result, God the Father put all power and judgment into his hands. And so Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, he came as a servant of men, born in the likeness of men, but then was super exalted by God. In verse 9, given a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Now that name is Lord there. It's not Jesus in that text. I know there's some debate about that, but I don't frankly understand the debate. It's pretty obvious, I think, that the name that's above every name is the Lord of heaven and earth, the name that is to be revered, the name that is to be hallowed and treated with great dignity and respect, the third commandment of the moral law. But be that as it may, these things were given to him that he might rescue his people from their sins. And so he, um, he took to himself these things given to him by his father, voluntarily condescended to our estate that he might be a mediator and a surety 
uh, for us. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you. I hope they are. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Wednesday edition, when we continue looking at matters pertaining to uh, chapter 8 of the, um, of, the, um, of the Westminster Confession of Faith, may the Lord help you today. May you strive to serve him. May he bless you in all that you do.